This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I want to talk today about a very specific thing uh, in in a couple of different contexts. So we're going to look at this under the under the title, if this episode were to have a title, on second thought, dot, dot, dot. And there's a, a few different specific things that I want to look at underneath that same topic. So it, we're going to jump around just a little bit. Uh, we're talking today with my darling bride, Kristen Putnam, because she's the one that I bounce these ideas off of uh, when I just am having this itch of a thought that I need to get out. Kristen, thank you for being here today. Of course, love. Hey, everybody. So you have a favorite quote um, that I, you, I think you got it from either Western Civ class or something, something in high school. I you brought think it, it was some website that used to be, maybe it's still around. I don't know. It's like quotes.com or something oh, yeah, like that. Around. But yes, I found it in high school when I was taking Western philosophy. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um, yes. And it, it became my favorite quote. This is a quote from one of the big three, right? One of the big three Greek philosophers. This is from Aristotle and it is, share it with us. And it is, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain an idea without accepting it. Now, I love this quote as well, and it's one that I think we would all do well to uh, to, <laughs> to spend some time giving a second thought to. Mm-hmm. Um, the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain an idea without accepting it. So what does that mean? Uh, largely, it means that our current modern day practice of coming to an opinion and a conclusion immediately upon seeing a thing is not necessarily the best idea. And I want to give you um, a biblical example of of this principle that we're talking about. Uh, we have two scenarios that the um, the circumstances going into these scenarios are the same, but the uh, the attitude and position of the person receiving these scenarios is different. Uh, the first is the the scenario where the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, uh, behold, in a year's time, you will have a son. And Zechariah's response to this is to make up his mind quickly, uh, to be in disbelief, and to to kind of laugh at it, right? That, that uh, you don't know what you're talking about, basically, is what he says. And because of that, he receives what he receives, that he has to, uh, basically spends the next year mute, unable to speak, um, because he spoke too quickly. Uh, How much more careful would we be (laughs) if if we spent a year in silence because we spoke too quickly? And and I think sometimes we we live with the, uh, the results of our speaking too quickly, uh, without really, I think, bearing the weight of it like Zechariah did. Well, it's so easy to move on to the next thing and not realize the ripples that we have caused. Mm-hmm. And so from there, then the second person, of course, where you, you already know where I'm going, is the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and and says, um, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with thee. Uh, and that she is going to bear the Messiah. And her response is not incredulity, it's curiosity, mm-hmm. right? 
uh, how can how can this be? Not this can't be, but how can this be that this will happen? And then, of course, that curiosity is rewarded with an answer. And she ponders this. And her response then is to say, let it be done to me according to thy word. And from that, we have the salvation of all mankind. Thank you very much. Um, and so here, Mary is our, our type and our example of being a person who gives things a second thought, mm. who, who doesn't make up her mind immediately and who ponders. In fact, when I was growing up, uh, as you all know, I am a very verbal person and I will just say the first thing that comes into my mouth without, with, you know, without any extra thought. And growing up uh, as a Protestant, uh, who as Protestants, we did not spend a lot of time thinking about Mary. And yet every time I would be a little bit too gregarious or quick with my words, my mother would say, and I quote, and Mary pondered all of these things in her heart as a way to remind me, shut your mouth, give it a second thought and take some time to ponder. You don't have to say everything that comes to your mind. And so I want to look today at what it would, what some of the implications are, what some of the necessities are for us giving things a second thought, and what some of the repercussions are if we don't give something a second thought. So the first thing that I want to note is that there are a lot of issues that are around us, uh, that, that populate our attention, whether those be political issues in the, uh, in the secular sphere or whether they be uh, political issues in the theological sphere, a different kind of politics, mm-hmm. church politics. Um, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it would be questions about the synod on the synod or questions about footnotes and encyclicals, right? We are very quick to make up our mind based on the input that we're getting from other people without taking the time to give it a second thought. And I think that largely it's because we're afraid that if we do not have an opinion quickly or forcefully enough, that in some way we are uh, weak or we are uh, moving towards error or betraying the faith, that we have to be uh, first thought reactionary rather than breathing, taking time, exploring, examining, and maybe even allowing for there to be some ambiguity at the table until such time as we've had time to consider it, to entertain the idea without accepting it. Well, that's an interesting thing when thinking about church politics specifically is just like if we look at how long it can take the (laughs) church to respond to things like the Ents in in Lord of the Rings, and how you know they take such they the places that encyclicals are coming down from right mm-hmm. can take so long to respond or to publish or to say anything, and so we have this long drawn out process, and then the immediate response of perhaps a translation that was a little bit off and so we misunderstood or or whatever. And so this immediate, all of a sudden it turns into a battle back and forth. Um, and then it takes them a very long time <laughs> to come back. So we, we can learn from the patience and the 
time that the church takes to say things. Well, and I think maybe part of this is um, our adjusting to the news cycle Mm -hmm. as it has come to us, that there's this effort to be the first one to break a story or the first one to to respond to something. Um, And first is not always best. Right. Absolutely not. It's first is room for error, (laughs) I would say. Well, I even think back to um, when I'm going to bring up a couple of controversial issues here because you know how much I love to shy away from controversial (laughs) things. Um, My first thought is back when Pope Paul VI was trying to explore the idea of whether or not the church was going to change or, or adjust or massage or develop her teaching on contraceptives, given the new realities that came out with this specific kind of medicine, which had never been available before. There had never been a thought of it before. And so he, he went out and he developed a commission. And of interest, there were people on that commission that were very much in favor of changing the church's position and allowing for contraception uh, at that time. And it was read by many as a, a sign or as a signaling that he was anticipating or desiring change. And so he was stacking the deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turned out that after he heard all of the advice and after the advice was specifically given that, yes, he should change it, that then he wrote the encyclical Humana Vitae, which upheld that uh, that long-standing teaching on contraception uh, from the church. And as I look at this, I, I see even in Pope Paul VI an example for us because he didn't find people who would tell him what he wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, he entertained an idea fully, but beyond just saying, no, 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 we can't, look, we can't even look at that because the church has always said this. Society was saying there are new things here that we haven't considered before. We should consider it in light of these new things. And so he invited the people with the strongest argument to come and make that argument so that he could fully uh, explore the idea, to entertain the idea without accepting it. I feel like we get very frightened of that idea. It's like, what if I find something that will contradict like thinking about like faith and science and how they they seem as if they um, contradict one another. But then it's like, if you take it far enough, you know, all truth is Mm. God's truth. And he is not afraid of us entertaining the best argument on the other side. His truth will always shine through just like it did with Pope Paul VI. Well, and I think also along those same lines, but to a different degree, when we see someone else who is entertaining an idea mm-hmm. and we don't necessarily trust them, sure. I don't trust you to come to the right conclusion. You are making me nervous. And we see these things that are outside of our control. And not only are they outside of our control, but they're making it very clear that they're outside of our control. Like there, there, there's not even an illusion of control. What happens if that Pope changes his mind and changes church teaching? Well, Christ gave us a promise that mm-hmm. the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against his church. We have this, that's the whole doctrine of papal infallibility that came out of Vatican I is that we can know definitively that Christ is going to 
protect his church and prevent error from being taught as doctrine. Right. Not because the popes are perfect, right. but because his Holy Spirit is powerful and we're not. <laughs> and so and I, not. I see in, in Paul VI an example for us to be able to enter into a conversation, to hear, to hear it fully, even being able to express it back to the person uh, in a way that they would recognize it, Mm-hmm. And then to form our ideas. I think that we get uneasy about the idea of having an open mind mm-hmm. um, because we see having an open mind as being wishy-washy. Right. It's like if your mind's too open, it's going to fall out. Like I've heard that phrase before. Yeah. But I love the way that G.K. Chesterton says this, and he has a quote about having an open mind. He said, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of having uh, of opening the mind, the object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid, right? So it, think about this having a second thought as if you were to keep your mouth closed all the time. You don't even open it to be able to shut it on something solid. Mm-hmm. There's no sustenance there. There's no life there. It's the process of opening the mouth in the first place that enables you to eat. And it's the process of opening the mind in the first place that enables you to grow and to develop. Mm -hmm. Well, and how can we even know the faith to begin with if we don't have somewhat of an open mind? I mean, the whole idea of what we believe and what, you know, it's, is a little crazy, like, <laughs> and and that's okay. But you know, for those of us that grew up in the church, it doesn't feel crazy. But like when you you know, and you step outside and look in and like what we actually believe, it is a little fantastical, and yeah. and it, you have to have a bit of an open mind to even have faith mm-hmm. and to be able to grow. Like that's the whole point. You know, Jesus over and over uses. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches and the parable of the seeds. Like we're constantly being (laughs) compared to plants (laughs) Um, or dumb animals or dumb animals either way. Yeah. But in either case, the whole point is growth and Mm -hmm. you can't grow physically if you don't eat. You can't grow spiritually or mentally if you don't consider what's out there like god mm-hmm. gave us a mind an amazing brain to be able to chew on these ideas well and i think it's in the letter to, uh, of saint paul to timothy one of those two where he says there will come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine but they will gather mm-hmm. for themselves teachers who tell them what their itching ears long to hear you're always going to be able to find someone who says the thing that you want them to say Mm -hmm. that makes you feel good about what you already believe. But it is a far different thing to be able to be vulnerable, to be able to recognize that maybe the way that I have understood life and the faith is not complete. I'm going to open my mind and give things a second thought to be able to consider if there are places where I need to develop, if there are places where I need to grow, or at the end of that second consideration, realize that I'm I'm where I should be. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's the whole role of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in in our considering, in our exploring to stay close to the Holy Spirit and he will show you. And if it's of God, it wins because God always wins <laughs> and that's how it is. I want to 
take this now a little bit towards the direction of evangelization. We recently mm-hmm. had a parish mission where a group called the Evangelical Catholic, and I'm, I'm, I'll try to find the website for them and put that up on social media. But they came into the parish and they were talking about some specific uh, evangelization strategies. And one of the the key points in there is listening. Mm. Listening to someone's story and hearing what it is they have to say. And if we are quick to respond and correct and direct uh, that conversation, we can miss out on something really important as far as evangelization. Uh, one of the things that, as they were talking about this idea of of listening, that stood out to me is we often, and introverts specifically, uh, yes, pointing me. at you, <laughs> that's me. Will will often say, "Oh, I can't evangelize. That's not my gifting." Right. That, right. That that idea of being vulnerable enough to maybe fail. And also bold enough to go up and approach someone. Well, and it feels so often that evangelization is put into a light, of, and they didn't do this, but right. just in general, that you have to have what you're going to say and all of the answers on the tip of your tongue. And I don't know about other introverts out there, but I know for me, like, I do not think well on my feet. Which is why you love coming on the show. Which is why I love coming on the show. <laughs> um, no, but it, you know, so it's like when someone says something or, or retorts back and mm-hmm. then like, unless I, unless it's a retort that I have prepared for in advance, I don't know what to say. And I'm just standing there. And that's scary. <laughs> and so the idea of taking evangelization, not away from the here is your toolbox of responses to say if they say X mm-hmm. and bringing it into the light of ask them what they're passionate about yeah, and listen to them. And if it's something you know nothing about at all, ask more. <laughs> and they did this great exercise where we had to pick a stranger that was in the crowd with us and we sat down and for five minutes we could do nothing but ask the other person questions. Yeah. We couldn't put in our own experiences. We couldn't make it about us in any way. It was all about them. And I had a delightful conversation <laughs> with someone who was a professor. It was great. Well, and as they talked about that and, and and brought that exercise to bear, one of the things that stood out to me is introverts will often say, oh, evangeliz- evangelization is extroverts work. But I'm looking at that and saying, that's not my gifting. That's not what I'm naturally invested in is listening and asking someone questions for five minutes without, without interjecting. Without interjecting. <laughs> and so I, you know, the fact that we are all called to evangelization stood out more clearly, clearly to me that also we all have to grow and develop in evangelization because it mm-hmm. falls outside of all of our skill sets. Right. For one person, they might not have the skill set of, being confident and approaching someone for the rest of us, we don't have the skill set to shut up and let that other person talk. (laughs) Right. And so this idea of giving someone else the table, even if they are very much saying things that we disagree with. Right. Even if they are flat out wrong (laughs) and spewing heresy, you know, (laughs) whatever. Okay. So then, but, but you can, in anything that anybody says, you can find something. Seeds. Seeds that you can, even if just by a thread, identify with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
And to that point, I want to maybe direct us in a slightly different direction, but relating back to this, uh, we are the, uh, the parents now of two teenagers. <gasps> yes, we are. <laughs> We did. We did pretty well with the uh, with the with the little kids, right? <laughs> well, and they're amazing human beings. They, they're great. They're fantastic. They but they're are. teenagers, right? And teenagers have big emotions. And, uh, and of it course, was like a switch. It just started happening one day, and it was like, oh my goodness! Okay. Now, all of those who have who have already gone through this stage, they are laughing. I am with sure, joy, and that is okay. You can laugh. <laughs> uh, it, it, but one of the things that that stands out to me as there are these big emotions going on. Um, and, and perhaps I see it more clearly because I identify with where they are. Right. That, that was me as a teenager. Cause it was not me as a teenager. As far as I know, <laughs> maybe I should ask my parents, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yes, this is new territory for me. But the the realization that what the person is responding to with big emotions is not really the thing that's bugging them, mm. right? There is, and we talked about this in, in marriage prep all the time as we were preparing couples for marriage, is that the thing you're fighting about, specifically that thing that you're fighting about today and you fought about yesterday and the day before and, and return to that fight over and over again, that thing is not really the issue. Mm-hmm. What's really the issue is some underlying uh, emotion or feeling or experience that's being triggered by some point uh, that recurs every day. Or I find or it kind of often. amazing how many things we used to teach in marriage prep that are coming in handy with teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> um, not to get off topic, I'm just saying. Yeah, so I, I feel like in this idea of giving things a, a sec on second thought, giving things a second thought is to realize that our visceral reaction to something that someone else is saying, one is probably not the issue for us. There's mm-hmm. a fear underlying it that is not what they're saying, but it's what we think will happen if we let them continue with what they're saying. Right. That's part one. But part two is the thing that they are very passionate about, sometimes in very negative ways, is also not really the issue. Mm-hmm. There is something that is carried along with that thing that they're responding to, that if we give it enough time and listen and allow them to bring those things to the table, even if they're uncomfortable, and allow ourselves to entertain that idea without accepting it, uh, we give ourselves time to ponder what the true issue is and to speak to that. And we see Jesus doing this over and over again in the Gospels as someone will bring him a story or a question or a frustration or and, and he responds in a way that seems non sequitur and mm-hmm. like a tangent. But what he's doing is actually speaking to the true core issue that that person is bringing to him. Mm-hmm peeling back the curtain or the mask or mm-hmm. whatever seems to be presenting to actually get into the spirit and the core of what it is. And that takes training. Mm-hmm. It takes patience and it takes uh, an ability to listen to the Holy spirit. Right. Recognizing we aren't Jesus. We aren't God, <laughs> um, so we wouldn't be able to do it so skillfully 
without him. I, in fact, I think we would bumble it up without him. At the same time, though, I think the things that Jesus did, other than the fact that he's divine, the <laughs> things that Jesus did to allow himself to to have those responses, we can do as well. You see mm-hmm. often, over and over, Jesus, it says, and he went away to a solitary place to pray. Mm-hmm. I only, and then and then oh this one's good as we're talking about second thoughts today. I only say what I hear my father saying. Mm. And we, I'm, as we get into the next segment, I want to talk about that specifically um, because we're going to talk about deconstruction and how people are wrestling with faith. We see uh, the rise of the nuns, the N O. N O N E S, those people who don't have any uh, any connection to a, a faith tradition. Oftentimes, those are people who have come from a faith tradition who have been so burned by something in that faith tradition that they threw it all out. Mm-hmm. And and there's something for us uh, both as a as a prescription for us to be invested in those people's lives, but also as a proscription uh, of things that we should stay away from to prevent that kind of thing from happening to someone in your circle of influence in the future. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, That there is a necessity for us to be careful with the things that we say. Are we saying things that we don't hear the Father saying? Are we doing things that we don't see the Father doing that have crept in to our Christian culture, but do not come from our faith specifically? And even here, we have to give things a second thought on because so much of what we know of the faith is what we've received from others. We have to be able to examine and say, am I responding this way because this is something that's been handed down to me through scripture and through tradition, or is this something that's crept in from somewhere else? Because our internal lives, I mean, we are such a hodgepodge of our life experiences and what we've been taught and how we grew up and our family of origin and and things that we've experienced in schools that we went to and people we've encountered and internal vows we've made because of bad experiences or whatever. And so, I mean, we are such a hodgepodge of all of this stuff to be able to cut through that and say, what is really the faith and what do I need to let go of? It's Mm -hmm. hard. It is hard, but it's also worth it. And it's worth it in a couple of different capacities. It's worth it for our own growth and our own spiritual development in the faith, but it's also worth it for the sake of others, for us to be able to be people who reflect the gentleness and the kindness of God uh, and, and give them hope in the middle of the place where they are. Hope that someone will listen, someone will understand, and to actually give them hope that there is a God out there who loves them. We're going to continue this conversation right after this break as we're talking about what it means to have a little bit extra consideration on second thought. Uh, There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, TL, and today we're talking about taking time to consider where where our beliefs come from, how we respond to others. Uh, if today's th- show had a theme, it would be on second thought, dot, 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 uh, because oftentimes we don't give ourselves the opportunity to have a second thought. We have a first thought, we have a reaction, and we we are conditioned to give that reaction. And I think that we have to recognize, first off, that that's a problem. We have to recognize that merely being conditioned to respond in a certain way is, is unhelpful to people who are around us, and it's certainly unhelpful to our own spiritual maturity. Right, we we can't just be the Pavlov's dogs that that salivate whenever we hear the bell because we know what's coming next. We have to recognize that we who are not omniscient, which by the way that would be all of us, we who are not omniscient cannot know instinctively and automatically what's coming next. And this is especially true when we're having a conversation with another person. Uh, uh, we're talking today with my darling bride, Kristen Putnam. Thank you, Kristen, for being here. Hello, everyone. Just before the the break, you mentioned that we are complex creatures. And yes. a lot of our internal understandings are informed by a number, number of things. You mentioned several of them, family of origin, uh, life experiences, uh, media consumed, places that we've been. Uh, and you take that, and then you also realize that every other person that you're dealing with is also a complex person. <laughs> right. It's not just you. It's not just you. You're not <laughs> yeah. the only one that's that's this. Um, I, I, I was. You, it sounds silly, but that is so easy to forget. <sighs> like we see everyone else like in one dimension and we're like, well, I'm a complex person and I have all these <laughs> things. So I need, you know, but like it's so easy to forget specifically someone that we disagree with. Like mm-hmm. we can see them as very one dimensional and not realize the depth and complexity that got them to where they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is kind of where I wanted to land in this sec- second segment is the reasons that a person holds the beliefs that they have is never a simple, easy to explain thing. Mm-hmm. Every person who brings a controversial opinion to bear, whether that be uh, politically controversial, spiritually controversial, or just a problematic person, right? (laughs) All of those things are coming out of another place. Mm -hmm. Uh, To to pull an advertising trope out, some people really need a Snickers, (laughs) right? There's a lot of stuff going on. And sometimes uh, that person's unpleasantness can be explained by a complex figure of of upbringing and trials and difficulties. And sometimes they're just hungry. Right. Right. Sometimes they're just being a pain because they haven't had anyone take the time to take care of their, their needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, a passage of scripture out of Romans that I wanted to talk about in terms of, again, on second thought, dot, dot, dot. And it's this, Paul's talking to uh, the people at Rome and he's laying out his theology. The book of Romans is specifically a book that was written 
by Paul to share his philosophy of ministry with the people of the Roman church in an effort for them to then support him on his mission to Spain, a mission that he never got to take, but that was the plan. His plan was to to go to Rome, this church that he had never been to, he didn't found, uh, but he, as an apostle, was being sent somewhere else. He wanted to basically lay out the case for why they should support his missionary endeavors. And so he's not necessarily writing this letter to them in the same way that he would write the letter to the Galatians or to the Corinthians, where he was correcting something negative in that church that he founded and they should know better. Uh, But he's saying to them, uh, if you, he's talking to the Romans, of course, and he's again, not correcting them, but but sharing his, his philosophy. He says, if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to, to the foolish, and a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So he's laying out this case for, uh, for a specific use case of people who are upholding the law and saying that the law is necessary. And as he preached in many places, he's saying, no, uh, we see this further in Romans 6, 7, and 8, that that the law showed us where we needed redemption, but the law itself could not redeem. And so he's, he's showing them, um, if we want to be a light to the nations, then we have to rely on the grace of God and not on this look look at how good we are we have the law we're an instructor we're 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 great evangelists we're going out and doing good work he's saying if we claim this but we are saying one thing with our words and another thing with our actions then we are creating a situation where and the the words that he says the name of god is blasphemed among the gentiles because of you and i have to say as i've been looking at this and thinking about this rise of those who are unaffiliated, they have no religious affiliation. I'm noticing that many of them come from a a religious upbringing. Either they themselves were religious growing up or their parents were religious growing up and they got to a place where they could no longer hold things to be true. And I think it's because of this right here. This passage, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because there have been places in in history where people who claimed the name of Christ taught things based on conditioning, political expediency, or fear of uh, entertaining an idea lest, lest everything fall apart. Uh, and so not leaving room for conversation and discussion and vulnerability and growth. And so now that that person has found those things to be restrictive or even to be detrimental, they have thrown out 
everything because something that was core to their belief was proven to them to be false. And so they no longer had trust that anything in that belief held value. This is why I think it's so important what Jesus said of, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do the things I see the Father doing because there's so much that we could add on to that that isn't just an accoutrement. It isn't just ancillary. It can actually be detrimental to the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's like when we start saying things that are that we equate certain points of view with Christianity to be a Christian, you must think this other thing that is ancillary, that is not the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people see that ancillary thing. It's like, oh, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want any part of that. Now, both you and I have deconstructed, right? Yeah, we've been we, through our fair share of that. We grew up, both of us, in the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Protestant, um, youth, Protestant non-denominational, me, Protestant mainline with a charismatic flair. Yeah. Um, and we got to a place where it no longer fit us. Yeah. And the the things that we were hungering for, we could only find in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. But there are many people who also find that faith doesn't fit them and go the other direction, mm-hmm. right? Um, I feel a certain sense of, uh, of compassion towards people who are in that place because I know what it's like to have something core of what I have always believed be challenged and, and found lacking, Right. I mean, it, it's a shaking experience because then it really makes you question, okay, well, what is real? Mm-hmm. What is true? If that's not, then what? And, and it is, it's frightening because it's like, how far down this hole am I going to go? Right. And I would think that it is, I mean, it would be very easy to just be like, well, it's all must be terrible instead of mm-hmm. deconstructing each individual piece um, specifically if there's any trauma involved with yeah. the leaving, it's like that process is too difficult. And yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the things uh, from our Protestant upbringing or from a generic Protestant upbringing okay. that, um, that were surprises to us. So for instance, uh, there's the little rhyme that goes out there. Uh, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, the, uh, well, those things are so ancillary. Like, right? Like, okay, like drunkenness, sure, that's talked about, but drinking in general, not really. Smoking, yeah, you want to take care of your body, but like, but the, but they're extras. They're right. not like if you smoke, you're not you. You could be a Christian and still right? do that. It may not be great for your body, but you can. Well, and it reminds me of like. I was in a mainline denomination, so there was drinking around, but it was never at church, right? It was always, okay, we're having our Sunday school party and it's over at nine o'clock. And if you're here at 901, that's on your own head kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. But it wasn't at the church. Like even- Mine never went even that far. Like there was no drinking, no, drinking, no dancing. Period, right? Dancing was not okay either. <laughs> right. Well, and I went to a, a Christian school where we did not have dances. That was not right. a thing yeah, we did. Banquet. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I think of the very- first time that you and I went to a Crozier Society dinner in the basement of the cathedral in yep. Tulsa, Oklahoma with uh, Bishop Edward Slattery. And uh, I had just started working at the Chancery, 
the chancellor walks up to me and in the basement of the church hands me a beer. And the bishop walked up to me and said, red or white? And I'm like, um. Red or, red or white what? Is, is that like, you know, and I didn't say, is that okay? I just answered. But in my mind, I'm like, what? <laughs> like we're drinking in the bottom of the church. This is not okay. Well, yeah, of course I, it is fine, but <laughs> it was And I went jarring. to a, a choir party just right about this time as we were first coming into the church. I went to a choir party at St. Mary's. Uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there was like a little potluck after the first choir rehearsal, and someone brought rum punch, and <laughs> and this whole uh, this would be a moment of deconstruction. This thing that I had held and understood to be true that had been conveyed to me as a tenet of faith, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't fit anymore. And what am I supposed to do with this now? Right? Is this wrong? Like I was thought it was, or mm-hmm. is this ancillary? And there's there's a deeper issue that God really wants to to yeah. hit home with that. Not that you don't drink, but that you don't drink to excess. Like, and that's a, that's more that's a deeper understanding, right? Well, and and I would even I would even push further on that of um, God is calling us all to virtue and to sanctity, and and He brings us to a place of of moderation and health, but. But even though I think of the the saint who um, was an opium addict and right. and was trying to get out of it and trying desperately to get out of it and went years without the sacraments because mm-hmm. the priests didn't understand at that point in time what addiction looked like, mm-hmm. um, and and yet I, th- I think was martyred in the end. I don't recall the entire story, but the, here's this. Uh, now on this other side of it, realizing that he had heroic faith in the midst of of what to him constituted a trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there's that process, and we don't right. know where that person is on their process. So I, I think that there is, um, for us, we've been laughing about this this idea of, oh, you can drink, you can play cards, you can dance. And yet there are, things that are far more serious that people interact with. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think back to uh, someone that we both know who grew up Catholic. And then when, uh, when Vatican II happened, there were a lot of changes and a lot of uh, questions that got brought up by those changes and went and asked their priest, um, you know, this was what was allowed before and it's not what's allowed now what am I supposed to do with this, this change and this difference? And the answer that was given to them was, oh, well, you know, it's just what it is. You you just have to trust Mm -hmm. rather than on second thought, right? Right. To bring in the the theme of the episode, (laughs) taking the time to really examine what is the real question here? What is the real issue here? What is the real struggle here? And responding in a way that, that reflects the, the constant and consistent teaching of the church, mm-hmm. right? That there are answers if we are patient enough to engage with what the question really is, with what the question really is, not with what's being presented, not with our first thought, not with uh, a conditioned response uh, or a Sunday school answer, as we like to say in, <laughs> in our Protestant upbringing, but to listen to the question behind the question, and to see that person as a person with concerns and 
you know, the complexity. Right. Those Sunday school answers never touch on complexity mm-hmm. whatsoever. It's just a blanket thing that never touches the depth of the person. And if you can't touch the depth of the person, they won't know the love of God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I want to encourage us and challenge us that there are continuing um, opportunities for us to see another person. And that even in the midst of deconstruction, even in the midst of antagonism towards faith, uh, that we can be warm and inviting and vulnerable and even entertain their anger and their, uh, to some extent, entertain their blasphemy Mm. for the sake of giving it a second thought hearing the pain that's behind that and addressing the issue of the person uh, rather than that first thing that they threw at us. Mm -hmm. Specifically with evangelization, I see a lot of times someone will, out of their pain and their distrust for faith, they will throw something towards the person of faith that they know will be hurtful or offensive or rile them up. Mm in order to keep faith at arm's length and to justify their continued um, distrust of religion. Because when we hear those things, that's exactly what happens. We are conditioned, even by the media we consume, to react, Mm -hmm. and we react exactly the same way that they expect us to react, and it gives them another excuse. See, I knew it. It justifies. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that regard. And so for us as as people of faith, um, realizing that we don't have to defend God, Right. Right. And to enable and allow that person to be upset and to give them space to be that person and and to respond in a way that they don't expect. Mm-hmm. Right. To to respond in a way that gives them space and grace uh, to to see and express what the true deep painful issue is. And then to respond to that thing um, by by being patient and by waiting, it just could be that we reflect enough of God's grace to them that it makes a difference, mm-hmm. that it allows them to be, really, that it allows them to give something a second thought as mm-hmm. well. Yep, even if it's just a tiny crack of light in the wall that they've constructed yeah. around themselves, that those things can grow and we may never see the result of it, mm-hmm. but that's okay. I feel like I've taken us on a, a roundabout tangent so far <laughs> away from where I started and I don't even remember where I started anymore, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. all of that to say, I really have enjoyed this conversation. Um, thank you for taking the time to have it with me. You are welcome, my love. And I hope that it's been instructive and helpful and uplifting to you. Uh, if you missed any part of my conversation with my darling bride, Kristen Putnam, and you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There is also every week an extra segment. And if you want to know more about that there at OutsideTheWalls.com, there's also a link that says Patreon right up there on the menu bar. Click that Patreon link there. You can find some of the older extra segments and learn more about how you can get extra segments the week they come out. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. 
That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, biblical commentaries, original language research, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. That reading again comes from the Gospel of Luke, and there are three things I want to point us to. First, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? We have to take the time to take a second thought, to examine the things that we have held to be true, to see if there are things that are in fact true, or if they're just conditioning that we've carried on with us from our complex backgrounds. If we think that we see truly, but we don't, if we are in fact spiritually blinded, maybe not completely, but by some aspects of it, and we try to lead someone else along that same way, we both find ourselves uh, not where we want to be, in a place of, of safety, in a place of being trapped. Are we blind? It takes the time for us to take a second thought, to examine ourselves, to explore the scriptures, to make room for possibilities so that then again we can come to a place of truth. And then a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. There's two things that I want to look at with this specific verse. One is that we have to continue being formed. And when we are formed, we'll be like our teacher. And then the question has to be, who are we letting teach us? What are the voices that we are giving permission to form our personal understandings of the world? Because that's what we'll end up like. If if that teacher is the church, then we'll end up like the church. If it's the saints, then we'll end up like the saints. But if we allow other voices in our society and our culture to teach us, that's when we are fully formed who we will be like. And lastly, the person here in the story who is trying to take the speck out of the brother's eye but doesn't see the log in their own, doesn't see the log in their own because they haven't taken the time to do self-examination. And so as we want to be holy, as we want to be helpful and take out specs as they would obstruct someone else's view, we need to take the time to do self-examination. Examinations of conscience, but also examination of belief and ask ourselves with, with trusted uh, advisors, is this something that is of God, or is this just something that I have accepted to be true? Our reading from church history comes from a, a tractate on the letter, a lecture on the gospel uh, according to St. John from Augustine. 
As the Apostle James says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's also said by another man of God, you will make me to hear joy and gladness, and the bones you have humbled will rejoice. This is what I said, when the truth is heard, humility is preserved. And another says, but the friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him and rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Let us rejoice in the hearing that comes from the noiseless speaking of the truth within us. For although when the sound is outwardly uttered as by one that reads or proclaims or preaches or disputes or commands or comforts or exhorts, or even by one that sings or accompanies his voice on an instrument, those who do so may fear to defile their feet when they aim at pleasing men with the secretly active desire of human applause. Yet the one who hears such with a willing and pious mind has no room for self-congratulation in the labors of others, and with no self-inflation, but with the joys of humility. He rejoices because of the Master's words of truth. Accordingly, in those who hear with willingness and humility— and spend a tranquil life in sweet and wholesome studies, the church will take delight and may say, I sleep and my heart wakes. And what is this, I sleep and my heart wakes? But just I sit down quietly to listen. My leisure is not laid out in nourishing slothfulness, but in acquiring wisdom. I sleep and my heart wakes. I am still, and I see that you are the Lord. For the wisdom of the scribe comes by the opportunity of leisure, and he that has little business shall become wise. I sleep, and my heart wakes. I rest from troublesome business, and my mind turns its attention to divine concerns. That reading comes from a lecture on the gospel according to St. John by Augustine, and In the little bit of time we have left today, I just want to point out this one thing. Let us be swift to hear and slow to speak. Let us, in humility, hear what it is that God would say to us. Make room for that voice to tell us something that we don't expect Him to say. It's in that place that the Holy Spirit can point out to us the log that's in our own eye, enable us to take it out to a place where we could actually be helpful to someone struggling. And then as we hear the voice of someone else telling us their struggles, let us be quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow to speak, not because the truth doesn't deserve to be heard, but because we recognize that our first reaction may not be the correct reaction. But on second thought, we may just hear the voice of God. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Our show today was brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.